Hello, and welcome to a Zen Master episode of the Drywall Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Harmon. With us today, a man who needs no introduction, owner of Can-Am Tools, Wolfgang Dombrowski, and I discuss a myriad of awesome topics, including how he got involved with Can-Am Tools. We also discuss aspects of creating tools and why that appealed to him, running a business and what it means to be successful. One of my neighbors, he was a construction guy and he he and I made friends. He was and he used to see my lights on late at night and <laughs> <laughs> like I'd be working my buns off like everybody else does. Yeah. And you know, um I remember he came over one day and chit chatted he says you know there used to be a guy just across the alley from us here that started this company and he made tools in his garage uh, just a few doors down from where i was of course he was gone by that time but so he said yeah he moved into you know into saint albert in one of the towns and he says he's got a shop there and i think he's still making these things you should go see him so you know i kind of put that in the back burner never really thought too much about it and um not only is Wolfgang an amazing guy to discuss drywall and tools with, but he was generous enough to help out the Drywall Podcast and sponsor the months of March and April. Can Am Tools, industry leading tools that help professionals around the world save time and money. Now, for these months of March and April, you have the opportunity to get your hands on these awesome tools at a discounted price. If you go to canamtools.com and enter promo code TDP15, you can receive a discount on these tools. Can-Am Tools is also celebrating 50 years of excellence as the original and leading inventor of the semi-automatic drywall finishing tool. Their line of tools is centered around the compound tube, one of the most versatile tools on the market. The Drywall Podcast is also brought to you by Fresco Harmony, making walls better since 2004. If you're in Canada or globally, you can get your hands on some Fresco Harmony by going to csrbuilding.com. You can get them there. But for now... Wolfgang Dombrowski on the 44th episode of the Drywall Podcast. Let's get into it. We have the great and powerful Wolfgang Dombrowski, owner of Can-Am Tools, a young 69, with us on the Drywall Podcast today. It took a while, but we got you here. Yeah, we got here. Finally. <laughs> Better late than never, right? Yeah, and the audio's good and your the screen iPad thing is good. So everything everything is fine. How are you doing today? Better than I deserve. Wolfgang Dombrowski. Uh first of all, you probably have one of the coolest names in the industry. I'm sure you've heard that before. Um you to me 
Wolfgang is kind of like he's kind of like I was telling Brad Hanna, I was like, Wolfgang is kind of like the Buddha of uh, drywall. Um, Wolfgang reached out to me a little while, I think, after the Columbia interview and you were interested in the podcast and you were you were really curious, you know, right after that, you're like, who is it? So had you listened to a couple podcasts by that time? How did you find out about me? That's kind of uh, interesting. Well, I think probably on Instagram, I must have seen a few of the reviews or the trailers, you know, that had been put up. And okay, that's probably how I started to recognize you. And then, as I think I told you, I phoned you that day or I face whatever timed you. And uh, yeah, I think you'd interviewed Columbia. And I said, hey, you know, I'm always on their coattails anyway. So I thought, let's, you know, find out what that was all about. And sure, sure. um, You know, introduced myself. And of course, I didn't know anything about Fresco Harmony, too. I (laughs) apologize for that, but I know a lot more now. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, when you're marketing on a shoestring budget, it's hard to get, you know, I've, I've tried lots of different methods. And, you know, the drywall, the drywall podcast was really a shot in the dark, but the response has been amazing. And what it's the community that it's building has really been a byproduct of, you know, originally marketing, you know, a product. But what's happened is that I've gotten to meet a lot of fantastic drywallers, gotten connected, um, met lots of great people, yourself included, and, what a tremendous byproduct of something that honestly, my friends were like, you're nuts. That just seems like a huge waste of time. <laughs> you know. And I was like, ah, whatever. There isn't a drywall podcast out there. We'll give it a whirl. See how it, see how it goes. I think you're doing an amazing job. I really do. You, Thank I you. You're naturally talented for this as well. So hang in there and I think you'll do well. Yeah. And it, thank you. And it's fun. And, um, you know, it's very interesting to not, you know, I think everybody has a story and it's, and listening to Drywaller's story for me, and I've heard this feedback from other people, it helps me connect with that little part of myself. That's like, you're less than because you're a drywaller. And that what uh, the the biggest thing I think that I've learned is that that's not the case. A lot of people choose this trade because they're attracted to the medium and they're attracted to this industry. And I think that's really what's being illuminated. Like this isn't like something that you just do because you couldn't find anything else to do. It tr- takes a tremendous amount of energy and skill and stick to to get to the point of journeyman, you know, in this trade. Well, takes a lot of skill, a lot of training, a lot of hours, a lot of dedication, yeah. like any trade, right? It's no less, no more. It, it may be an easier one to get into initially, but right. it's still a lot of, a lot of work and effort and dedication to be good at it. Like anything. Yeah, like anything. And you uh did you start listening to the podcast after that? Are you are you an avid listener? Where are you at with all of that? I haven't listened to all of them. I've listened to a few of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, a handful. Did you happen to catch uh Myron Ferguson's podcast? I probably caught a bit of it. I may not have watched all of it. Okay. Yeah. 
and he's actually been to our our location and actually hired him a, a couple of times to do some work for us at the trade shows so yeah we know each other pretty good yeah yeah you you'd like that one um and if you don't know wolfgang uh he's just the nicest guy he's exactly the same in person as he is on camera and and you you admitted we talked a little bit you admitted this isn't really your your cup of tea you're more of a background owner of your business and uh, i appreciate you coming on here and being with us today i'm sure a lot of our listeners are interested in your story and the story of canam tools and how this whole thing came to be but before that, uh, I was poking around on Google and I found your LinkedIn, which I sent you an invitation to connect. And it said, part-time passion was economic development, transformational change for entrepreneurial leaders of the developing world. And that caught my attention because I love the whole entrepreneurial spirit. And I, I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that a little bit. That's an interesting find you got there well basically what i've been doing and my wife and i have done this together and i've done it by myself but we've traveled to different countries particularly countries in africa and we've um, worked with people there especially you know people who want to get into business um, in in those countries it's you know there's lots of unemployment and the only way to actually make some money is to do something you know and start a little trading company or you know make something or figure out how to make a dollar okay. and so they need lots of help when it comes to you know how to start a business and how to manage their finances and you know how to do marketing and sales and you know just how to have be ethical and how to be honest and how to you know conduct themselves in the real world so we, okay. we teach you know the rudimentary basics of, of business is so there is there like a is there like a business, like a side a non not for profit business that you run that that is focused on that? No, I don't. I don't run anything like that. I usually team up with somebody. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And and how did you how did you get into that? Were you like, oh, the, there needs to be more awareness for these people that are struggling to make a buck? I can go teach them. How did that How did that come to be? Well, I think that came through our church that I'm a part of. And okay. there was a, a team of people that wanted to go to Zimbabwe, and my wife was one of them. Okay. So I, you know, I wasn't really that interested. But when I thought about it, you know, she was going to be gone for, I don't know, three weeks. I said, I don't want to be here by myself. So I said, you know what? I'm signing up. I'll go. Okay. And, uh, that was a little bit with fear and trepidation, of course. You know, I've never been there, but it, you know, it's, it was a little scary to begin with. But it was a it was a wonderful experience, and we met a lot of neat people and got to know yeah. the locals. And it's there's nothing to be afraid of, right? Nah. But, uh, it was really cool. So from there, we just got to build our network and meet people. And then, of course, you know, being that we're in business, we have a couple of businesses. We actually have a real estate company as well. Okay. And we we we've bought commercial properties and things like that okay. over the years and then we run can-am and you know my wife was very active in the business as well she does all the finance and bookkeeping okay. so she's the uh, presidential advisor she likes to say 
anyways, yeah. between two of us, you know, we work together and we, we have fun and, you know, do some things outside of working in the business. Well, let's give a shout out to uh, Faye. Behind every great man is a greater woman, you know. <laughs> very, very cool. Um, where are we going to go? I read too uh, on the website. Let me give a little, a little pitch here. So, if you don't know, too, uh, the pod, the Drywall Podcast is running a uh, an ad if you will, or a spot, a sponsorship, I like to call it, um, for various months of 2022, 2023. And Can-Am was enough to uh, sign up for a sponsorship for the months of March and April. And that's a paid sponsorship. If you're out there, we still have uh, July through the end of the year that I'll be running. And that's one sponsor per month. And I think it's a pretty good it's a pretty good uh, reach now that we're over you know fifty seven hundred downloads. It's gaining in popularity, which I'm super grateful for. But uh, I read online there was a little blog. It said Can Am was founded in 1973, and the process of growth through the years has established a clear and consistent commitment to our customers to provide the highest quality drywall finishing tools that are easy to use and affordable. 1973, what did Can-Am tools look like at that point? That wasn't, and you guys, two-part question, You guys, that wasn't fully automatic tools. That was the semi-automatic tools. It seems like, did you start out doing semi-automatic tools? You were like, yeah, there's gotta be a, there's gotta be a middle point here. You can't jump right into the automatic tools. What about all those guys that just wanna, put mud, mud on the wall or did that start with a banjo? How did that, how did that come to be? All right. Well, back in 73, I wasn't involved in drywall at all. Okay. It was, I didn't, I'm not the founder of Can-Am tool. Right. I bought the company in 2000, but in 73, my predecessor um, was a drywaller and he was also managing a, a store for one of the leading builders in, in Canada. And Can-Am had been, it wasn't really called Can-Am before he took it over, but the, the product had been developed years prior, probably, you know, in the 60s. And the reason that Can-Am came to be is because Ames was exclusive. They were they had the exclusivity for for tools, and nobody could get automatic tools unless you know you could get them from Ames. And there was a, a contractor here in Canada. His name was Merle Matart, and he had a, a lumber company, and he built engineered homes, and they built them across Canada. They're little, probably twelve hundred square foot bungalows, and he would only let his contractors have the automatic tools. And so there was this huge competitive gap between, you know, the drywallers that did his homes and the other guys that, you know, were working on contract as well, but they didn't get, uh, they didn't have access to the tools. Okay. So somebody, you know, said, Hey, we've got to do something about this. You know, we can't just, this was a monopoly and they, so, you know, necessity is the mother of invention so they yeah. 
couple of guys got their heads together and they came up with, you know, with the flushers and they developed all kinds of stuff, boxes and box handles and okay. you know, we have dry taper and a number of different products. And, but they were, they were somewhat successful. Of course, it always takes years to, you know, really develop a product and make it good. Yeah. So they got something that worked. And then the, the owner of retired lumber, he, he, he bought that company because he wanted to get rid of them. Right. He was, basically wanted to crush them and you know get rid of the competition and so okay. all the assets sat in the back of this shop where my predecessor worked and okay he he, he shelved it yeah it was shelved it was exactly put in and so but my friend you know you know, my friend looked at this stuff and he you know he eyed it up and he thought there was a really good opportunity here and he, one day he I guess he had shares in the company as well in the Matart Lumber Company, and he said, "Hey, how about I trade my shares in this business, and you just give me the assets for you know those tools?" And they thought it was a great idea because they didn't want them anyways, and so he took them and and uh, developed the product in his garage. And you know, in, in 1973, he actually had some some tools that he could sell and started showing people how they worked, and it, it was it was a success. You know, what was his, what was his name? His first name was Fritz. Fritz Gen Gentink, yeah, Fritz Gentink. Yeah, okay. He was a Dutchman. His actually, his dad used to make wooden shoes, so he was really this guy was amazing. <laughs> um, you know, he could work with his hands, and he could pretty well make anything. You know, on a shoestring. Sure. By the way, yeah, sure. Sure. Interesting. So he grabs these tools. What are the first tools that he comes out with in 1973? And he's competing against yeah. the automatic tools at that time. I would imagine he came out with the flusher and the tube. You know, those would have been, the, and the applicator, inside corner applicator would have been the most, you know, essential tools for doing corners rather than, you know, were you using a hawk and trowel or a pan and knife to do a corner? You know, you can load it up with an applicator with, with the applicator tube and then run a flusher. You know, you've got it done in a matter of minutes rather than so you're years. talking about the compound tube that was developed like out of the gate. Yeah, that was that was something that was being developed. What happened is that they took the um, the bazooka. And they, they basically separated it. The bazooka has two functions. One, it applies mud, and two, it applies paper tape. So yeah. they just they just split it in half and said, <laughs> hey, we'll just you know, do the application of the compound. And then they developed a dry taper as well. So then they had an applicator. So it was a two-step process. Yeah. And what the dry tape applicator, is that still in, in market today? It's, it's, uh, we still have some, but we, we're working on a new design, to be honest okay. with you. Okay. Because that was kind of moot. I mean, you can have a, a spool on the side of your, your pants and like wring out tape and put it on there. It's not, you know, doesn't seem like that big a deal. Well, the nice thing is it's got the reach, right? It has the, it's like a bazooka. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So those tools would come out. Where does he... Where does he go from there? That's a good word. Where does he start marketing? Well, probably locally, just, you know, amongst his friends, his buddies. 
I'm I'm pretty sure that you know he wasn't really all that successful to start with because okay. nobody really knew the product. But he told me a story one time where he went to one of his buddies job sites the guy was taping a house and um he went there with his tools to you know show the tools but he saw his buddy there working in one of the rooms with you know conventionally with the knife and pan or whatever and you know and the music was blaring i guess and whatever you know so he he thought hmm you know i'll just so he snuck in you know basically in one of the other rooms and he taped out the whole room while the guy was you know working on one corner or whatever and and um, then, you know, he just nonchalantly walked in there and, you know, said hello and they had a little chit chat. And then they, he sort of walked them into the other room and everything was done. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy couldn't believe it. Like, what just happened? Who, who did this? Like, what, you know, and then he, he, then he can, showed him the tools and told him, I did this while you were just, you know, working on that one corner or whatever yeah, you know? yeah. and i was absolutely <laughs> blown away and that was you know probably the beginning beginning of the success story that seems pretty consistent to a lot of success stories in the drywall space is almost like you have to show people people myself included we're very resistant creatures by nature and i think drywall lends itself to very formulaic systems that people get locked into. I want to go to work. I want to do my job. I I collect my paycheck and I don't, I don't want to expand outside of that. So for us drywallers to learn something new is challenging. And it's almost like we have to be slapped in the face or shown like, check this out. This is quicker. While you were doing that corner, I finished this whole room. It's brilliant. Really? Now, did he take that model and start utilizing that in other, in uh, you know, going onto job sites and maybe doing that in other uh, areas? I think it was more word of mouth from there okay. on, most okay. likely. Yeah, yeah. People just started to, you know, it, it just took off and slowly, you know, within the Alberta or Edmonton market for sure, and then where we are, and then you know, the whole province probably started, you know, because there's the dealers uh, have you know they've got them in the dealerships that sell the tools are in the bigger cities and of course they you know word gets out and people start trying things sure sure and then what real quick what does can-am where, where did that where did that name come from well that you know that's canadian american i think that okay. was the original intention of it it came from back in the 70s actually now that you mention it um there used to be can-am races they were like car races and they would okay you know they would have them both in canada and the u.s and they would travel around the different cities yeah and drive around the track and you know and that's probably where the name can-am came from originally and everybody loved that you know so i guess he loved that too and it was a good name so a lot of companies if you look you'll find a lot of can-ams out there yeah in canada, not maybe not in the u.s <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And well, there was Pan Am was a, the error. Right. That's you know, right. the, the flat early on Pan Am was a big deal. Um, very interesting. So he ran that company for a while. And then uh, Wolfgang Dombrowski, he was wandering down the street one day and he saw a sign on the side of the road that said help wanted. And he... <laughs> how, how did you find those guys? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I used to, before that, I, in 88, I started my own 
manufacturing. It was basically a machine shop. I did design machining and, um, you know, basically had a job shop. So it made custom tools or custom equipment or did, you know, specialized machining. I used to work at the University of Alberta and we used to build lasers when I was there. So I was kind of connected with the high tech industry for quite a few years. What's your background there? Well, my background basically there was a machinist. I worked in one of the, in the electrical engineering shop where we built, or, you know, any professors and the grad students would design all kinds of interesting stuff that was never made before and we'd make it for them. And so you're, you're, uh, you're a college professor. No, no, not at all. I'm, I'm a tradesman. You're a tradesman. I came out of the trades. My first job was in a tire shop. Yeah, but you had to have you had to have credential credentials to have oh, that. Yeah. Well, what's your what's your education? Well, I took a number of. I've got two apprenticeships, and I've got three trades, three designated trades. They call them Red Seal in Canada, and power engineering. I, I worked in a number of different places when I was younger, and you know I didn't last for more than couple of years and I'd be gone to the next job and fortunately uh, you know there was lots of opportunity for an education and it wasn't expensive when I was young right you could you know you could go to school you could get it in Canada at least you didn't have to pay much and um, so I took advantage of every educational opportunity that came around well back then education was kind of reserved for people that were smart like like if you weren't good at school you were more likely to get into a trade, you know, and that, that sort of shifted to where college is more, uh, you know, it's more based on, you know, making money and they're letting more people in and, you know, it's more of an industry, uh, you know, we have, you know, we have a number of trade schools in Canada and of course, in order to become a recognized tradesman, there's, it's a pretty grueling. Okay. uh, Time. You know, it's not a cakewalk to get a ticket. Right. Right. So how did you find, uh, how did you find Can-Am? Well, that's, a, so I used to, you know, work out of my garage and one of my neighbors, he was a construction guy and he, he and I made friends. He was, and he used to see my lights on late at night and <laughs> <laughs> like I'd be working my buns off like everybody else does. Yeah. And, you know, um, I remember he came over one day and I chit-chatted. He says, you know, there used to be a guy just across the alley from us here that started this company and he made tools in his garage uh, just a few doors down from where I was. Of course, he was gone by that time. But So he said, yeah, he moved into, you know, into St. Albert in one of the towns and he says, he's got a shop there and I think he's still making these things. You should go see him. So, you know, I kind of put that in the back burner and never really thought too much about it. And um, and then another friend of mine, I had a couple of mentors, you know, another friend when I was machining and stuff, he says, Wolfgang, you should really get a product. You really need a product of your own rather yeah. than just, doing, you know, work for other people. And I thought, and he said, it's probably right under your nose. You just don't even see it. Yeah. And so I thought, well, what could that be? You know, okay, I'm, 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 so then I thought, hey, I should go see Fritz because he's got a product. And, you know, he was an older guy by that time, too. And so I went and introduced myself and, you know, and then I told him I, I, what I did. And he said, hey, I could use some of your services. I could, you know, could you make some parts for me? 
I said, sure, I'd love to. And so he started giving me work, you know, making parts for Can-Am, which I would then send to him. And then one day I said, I, you know, I'm interested in buying your company if you ever yeah, want to but sell. What did that look like, though? I mean, you were making money. How were you making money at that point? It was the college? You no, were... no, I had my own shop. I had my own my yeah, own but so you were making stuff. How how were you? How, you know how would you get a check? Where you people come to you with projects? Yeah, they'd come to me with a project. I had my you know my milling machines, my lathes, and you know my fabrication equipment, and they'd give me a drawing. Or a lot of times they would just come to me with an idea. Said, hey, you know, can you make this? And uh, neat, you know, and you know, work off a napkin sketch or something, and I would do that that was what i was pretty good at you know yeah i didn't like working from drawings particularly because it constrained me it made me you know forced me to follow the rules and i didn't like that i always liked yeah. it when it came to me with stuff that that gave me more scope where i could just do what i wanted and, maybe you know, an explanation or something like hey wolfgang yeah. I've got this idea for this neat thing. What do you have an example of a neat thing that you helped somebody make that became successful? Well, I was thinking probably the neatest thing. Well, one of them is uh, in Can-Am at least would be that AccuJust flusher that we came out with, and I didn't just you know invent it. There's a there's another basically the, the invention is the the hinge. It's a hinged flusher you know or or corner finisher that that ranges between i think 130 uh, i'm not sure 80 to 135 degrees or something to that effect 72 to 135 i think it is but anyways they, they spent 10 years in the development of this and they spent over a hundred thousand dollars trying to make it work and uh, you know they he went around in fact everybody knows who I'm talking about, and they went. You know, they tried to get other companies to make this, and nobody wanted it. And uh, I, I took it on eventually, and I said I'll do it. And you know, yeah, it took us a fair amount of money and a couple of years to figure it out, but we finally, you know, got it to work. And so that was a pretty big accomplishment. Is the uh, the Aki just flushers that we make? You know, they're they're typically used for offset corners. So there's nothing okay. else like it. It's, it's the only one of its kind. It's, you know, a patented product. Cool, cool. And so when you got a job with Can-Am, he would give you projects. Were you ma were you on oh. salary? Were you like on salary at that time? What was your title? No, no, I, I ran my own company. I had another company called Avantech Consulting. And so I would just work on contract. They would give okay. me the projects. I'd, I would, I'd have, I had my own shop, my own equipment. And I, you know, go back and do the work. It'd be like five thousand dollars. I'll make this for you, something like that. Yeah, that kind of an idea. Yeah. Okay. All right. Neat. So you were like, "Why the heck am I making tools for this company? I could just be running this company." <laughs> well, I mean, I wanted a product, right? I wanted to get away from the job shop, from the, you know, I wanted something that I could call my own, and uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Rather than working for other people and making their making them rich, I decided I should figure out how to do that for myself. Right? Uh, <laughs> why did you choose drywall? Well, I didn't choose. Nobody <laughs> chooses drywall. You know that. <laughs> oh man! Hey, if you're listening and you want to get rich, just go away from drywall, man. 
this is a this is a this is a, ne- no. a bad road to go down, man. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you get rich in drywall, but it, you know, it it it's um it's necessary. It's it's you know you can make a good living. Obviously, a lot of people do. It's obviously, not not everybody gets does that well with it, depending on where you live and what kind of work you do, and you know, and, and it takes a lot of talent. And it's not just you know when you're in business. I had to learn this. It's not about how good you are in the trade. If when you're business, it's a whole different dimension. You have to understand how business works. And most of us that come out of the trades, we have no clue how a business is run. So, you know, we can't run a business. We can do the job really good. Yeah. But we don't know how to how to grow a company or how to hire, you know, how to work with people or, you know, there's so much more to running yeah. a business, than running it, being a tradesman. And unfortunately, they don't teach us that in the schools. You know, you have to go out and figure that out on your own. No, I call that the hustle, but it's, and unfortunately too, a lot of, drywall finishers you know you jump into running your own business and that's something a lot of finishers don't take into consideration you know the taxes and the 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 background you know the estimating and the you know we talk a little bit about that on the podcast like how to bid jobs you know and not undercut yourself you know because you're not making an hourly rate anymore you got to make a hundred dollars an hour two hundred dollars an hour to turn a profit you know, that's a different, it's a different mindset than um, I'm going and collecting a check for $25 an hour. The autumn, the, the taxes are automatically taken out. Like all that gravy train, I go home, I drink a few beers and I call it a day. That's not the case with running a business. It sort of consumes you and you have to be, you have to be of the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset that like, and you have to enjoy what you do. I think one thing that's very smart about your story is that you were gravitating towards what you wanted to do. You had an intrinsic knowledge of like, I don't want to be doing this. I would prefer to be doing that. And, but you also didn't have any business skills or knowledge going in. I, I think that's just yeah. something like you're saying, you kind of have to cut your teeth as they say you know, when you get jump into a business, but it probably catered to your problem solving mind, you know, so, you know, you come up with these problems and you solve them as you go. Well, back in the day, I mean, there were lots of uh, courses at night. You could go to night school and the technical okay. institute and take, you know, business classes, which I did. And even at the university, there were classes there that I took. And so I, you know, I just basically self-educated and, went wherever I thought I needed some help. Yeah. 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 Nowadays it's called YouTube. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to start a podcast? It's like YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> How the hell do people do this? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's podcast is no different, man. There's a lot to this stuff. Oh. Like, you, you know, it's crazy hard. Um, but those skills, those skills, you know, really aided in those problem solving skills aided in learning something new, you know, for me and doing this. And, and much like another thing I'm sort of gleaming from your story is the, uh, you know, like I thought that my product would just blow up automatically. You don't think about marketing. You don't think about like, oh, you have to get this idea out there, you know, and 
doubly, you're getting this idea out there to a market that could give two shits about it. Like nobody cares about new ideas in drywall. This isn't like I developed a new microchip in the tech industry. They're always looking for new ideas. Drywall, but more resistant. You got to go and tape out a whole room and then come show the guy, you know, look, this works. I'm telling you, you know, um, that's, that, that's interesting. But what, you know, what I've learned is that, um, and this sort of parallels your story is that there's nobody else was going to do it. Nobody else was going to do this thing. Like I've been blessed with this or cursed with this task of bringing color to the market. Like this is bestowed upon you. And, yeah. and it's my, it's, this is my calling. It would right. be the, be the best yeah. word, you know, and, and it's not about getting at first. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I want to get rich. But then that's an interesting question. Like what is rich as I'm sure you've, you've sort of analyzed that what is success? What is rich? And that's, you know, we can, I'll ask you that question. What is, what is being rich, you know, and has that changed from what you thought it was to what it is now? I think for me, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is I did I never wanted to be dependent on the government for one thing, you know, for, for my yeah. pay or my, you know, I wanted to be self-sufficient and have enough to look after myself and our family. So I think, you know, that from a financial perspective is, I remember years ago when I first got into business, I went to uh, an insurance company, I, you know, to get life insurance. Of course, you know, they, they always try to upsell you on things and, they basically did an analysis and they said, you know, when you retire, you know, basically they said, you need a million dollars. That was back years ago. They said that you have to have at least a million dollars in, you know, for retirement income. Okay. And I, it just blew me away. I could, I, where am I ever going to get a million dollars? It's like, it was an impossible, unbelievable amount of money. You know, it's still a lot. <laughs> and yeah. You know, and I and that always resonated with me. Well, how am I going to have a million dollars for you know for my retirement? At least you know so that you can live. And I was only going to get thirty five thousand dollars a year, like three and a half percent. You know, it yeah. wasn't wasn't a lot of money. So yeah. I have to figure something out. And I didn't want to be dependent be dependent on the government, like I said. And because uh, so you know, I had to start figuring out how to how to make money. And I guess you know, for me, the really the and it wasn't with Can-Am, by the way, or anything else. It was really getting involved in real estate and buying properties. Uh, okay. You know, that yeah. was where I found I could leverage my money. So you, your business makes you your money, but your investments make your wealth. So it's really important yeah. to have both, you know, both an investment and a source of income. Yeah. Yeah. My good buddy's a commercial uh, realtor, but he, you know. <laughs> If you're a good commercial realtor, you learn how to invest very quickly, you know? Um, yeah. 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 Uh, so we've always, you know, bought our own properties. <laughs> we, we don't, yeah. I don't like renting. I like, I like owning yeah. if I can. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And property is just a fantastic, although it's, it's gotten more unstable lately, but it's still, my dad w always said, man, you know, it, you know, you buy a house, it'll never lose its value. It's only going to go up. The property only goes up in value. 
you know, you know I mean, it might it might dip occasionally for for a year yeah. or two, but it'll come back, you know, typically. Right. So, do you or your wife have a commercial real estate? Uh, do you do you dabble in that? I mean, is are are either one of you a commercial realtor? I took the training, but I never became a realtor. Okay. But, um, no, we 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 we're just investors, basically. Yeah. We, you know, not big time investors. We found some smaller properties that we bought and we basically lease those out. Okay. All right. Back to Can Am. We're gonna bore our audience with the uh, real estate talk, that's for sure. Yeah. It bores it bores me. <laughs> <laughs> My <laughs> wife's <laughs> real estate's supposed to be boring. That's the point they- is the point is wealth. Wealth versus being rich, uh, I think is is the takeaway from that conversation. What was the other one? Oh, success. Uh I mean, you know, that's an interesting one to me too. That's one I always wrestle with. What you know, and I, I my take is like success is as soon as you decide to go, like you find your path and you start going on that path, no matter what. To me, that really defines success. Like you've, win or lose, you've become successful at that point because you've risked something. And um, I don't know what your what your definition is, but everybody seems to have a different definition of success. That's a good one. Well, I think obviously knowing you know what you want and and then uh, uh, being able to achieve your goal to, to find, you know, to eventually get where you want to go, is, I think is a way to define success, yeah. you know, but you really have to know what you want to begin with. And then you know, otherwise you're never going to get it. Right. Yeah. See you, you ultimately take over uh can am tools. You bought it from the previous owner. Yes. Okay. Zero drywall experience, but by this time you were aware of the trade. Well, and- I often looked at myself as an engineer. You know, you, you, I, I like the analogy of a pilot and an engineer. You know, a pilot flies the plane; the engineer builds it. Right. So I don't need to know how to be a drywall finisher, but I know how to. I have to be able to understand what it takes. You know to to, to build something. So, you know, that's why I like working with people and they, they basically tell me what they need and you know, what it has to do and how it works. I can watch it. I can feel it, see it, try it. Yeah. And then make it work. You know, that, that is, that is interesting. So from your standpoint, you haven't had the millions of hours that some of these people have had on the tools, you know, but you have that ability to listen to somebody from early on and take that information and make your products better. I had one bad experience in drywall, like everybody. Only one? (laughs) Oh, well, the first one. I think it was like- <laughs> you heard it here. What? Wolfgang of Canada told you one bad experience. Let's hear I was, it. <laughs> I tell you, I was about probably twelve or thirteen years old, and my dad had a buddy who was a photographer, and he had a studio, and so he was. The buddy was, you know, doing some drywall work on one of the walls. I don't know what he was trying to skim it or something. I can't. Anyways, he made this huge mess of, you know putting drywall all over this wall, made a, and then uh, he hired me. It was a Saturday. I took a bus and went downtown and went to the, his studio. And he asked me, you know, I had to sand this thing down. And it was the worst job in the world, you know, to sand this wall that he had messed up. Yeah. And, uh, 
I guess that was my, you know, <laughs> I never forgot that. I said, man, yeah. I never want Never again. <laughs> that cured you. You're like, oh, I know. Go. I know what you guys are doing. I'll I'll adjust the edge of the flusher. We'll make it a little better. Don't just you go do that. I'm gonna work on the tool and we'll get along just fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that those sanding days just that'll that'll crush an apprentice. If you're training up somebody, man, don't just have them sand all day long because you that's a that's a good way to lose an apprentice right there. You gotta let them let them spot screws or something, you know, give them some time off. Cause sanding is, that is a, that is a gnarly aspect of this trade. Yeah. Um, very cool. So you take over the company in 2000, what changes do you make right away? Uh, and you know, what, you have a direction sort of that you want to see the company. That's pretty recent, honestly, on the timeline, 2000 is not that long ago. Oh, actually it was interesting when I, Took, bought the company i had another another location i had a nice building that i was working out of but i actually sold it so that i could finance the purchase of, of can-am okay probably made a mistake but anyways so i moved into the shop where Can yeah that was. building's worth two billion now by the way <laughs> i know i should have i should have sold that was the dumbest thing ever. but anyways <laughs> You know, live and learn, right? So I moved into the shop with Fritz, and and he was quite actually disappointed in that I did that because he expected me to move out and you know move it into the other nicer location, right? But I I just took over his shop, and I honestly I learned the lesson. I didn't change anything for the first six months. I didn't change anything at all. In you know, I just kept I just learned from him and watched him and observed and. Because he he was there, I, I hired him on contract, and he did a little bit of work for me. Okay. Uh, he kept building the flushers, and I did everything else, and uh, didn't make too many changes. In fact, some of the my customers didn't have any confidence in me at all. When I went into the stores and introduced myself, they kind of looked me up, sized me, sized me up, and said, "Gee, you know, yeah. what are who are you? You don't know squat. You know nothing, right?" And I yeah. It was a little demoralizing, but I said, hey, I know what I'm doing. I'm not worried, but they didn't have any confidence at all, right? Okay. It was a little, not a very nice situation, but hey. Yeah. I, but later on, um, you know, they were pretty impressed. They were happy that things did work out, so. Yeah, your personality won, a, won them over. You're like, well, I, whatever. You know, They'll come around eventually. <laughs> well, we did some, you know, one of the things that Fritz used to do was he used to use WD-40 on he used to spray all his tools in order to get the fingerprints off. He would just spray them down with, with his WD-40. And the, the salesman hated that because it would make, you know, get their hands dirty and it was greasy. And so, I mean, that was the first thing I stopped doing. <laughs> that, that made them happy. What did you, know, you some, use instead of WD? Oh, we just washed them. You know, I got a dishwasher, threw them in the dishwasher and cleaned them. There you go. I wiped them down with something, but... And sometimes it's just the littlest things, the simple things that can make the biggest difference in the minds of people. Yeah. Did you, so you considered, I mean, that was probably an issue that the people brought oh, yeah. to you. They were like, Hey man, can we do something else? And you were, you listened to them and you were like, yeah, of course we can do something else. We can make this yeah. better. You know? Yeah. yeah. So little, little improvements, just con small improvements continually making up a little bit better and oftentimes they're not even noticeable to to the others you know but 
but eventually you do see a big difference. Yeah. And you liked, you liked that right away. I'll bet you liked running the business and taking over and having control over all of those various little uh, decisions. Yeah, it was hard. In fact, one of the contractors that did a lot of the work originally, as soon as I took over the business and I went to, you know, get some more parts made some of the fab parts, they actually told me, no, we're not doing any more work for you. That's it. We're done. You know, like, so my first, experience after taking over the business to get you know the the other shops to make parts that were contracted out some of them you know they one of the biggest players decided that they didn't want anything to do with me because they had such i guess you know they were buddies with fritz but they they really didn't want to do this and so i I actually put me it put me kind of frightened me there for a while because i didn't even know how i was going to make this because all the tooling was, they just sent it back and said, we don't want this anymore. Here it's yours. And I had no clue how I was going to make it. But it actually was a blessing in disguise because, you know, we used to use hard tooling to make our flushers and ended up just going into another company that used lasers. Okay. And then we started cutting, you know, using better technology and working with some younger guys. And, you know, we figured out another way to do things. So sometimes the old ways you know, our, it's, they have to just, you have to change things up every once in a while as well. Sometimes it's yeah. good to get forced, you know, get kicked in the butt and, and it forces you to think differently. Yeah. That, that was a forced change. I'm dealing, I'm dealing with a little, a little one of those right now where it's, where I'm having a problem with a product and I'm, and I'm, you yeah. know, forcing me, you know, you want to get mad or at least I want to get mad and, you know, like, but if, you know, it drives like a different way of doing things or like, you know, maybe we should do, you know, I, and I've always wanted to do it in-house, like, you know, like have control. I like that. It's like, well, I want to learn how to do that and make it myself so that I know how it's done and how it needs to be done so that it can be done properly. Yeah. Well, it's impossible to make everything in-house, right? It's not even, you can't realistically do that. There's so many components to, you know, sure. like you're going to make your plastic bottles in-house or you're going to, you know. Yeah, yeah. You formulate everything and you have to buy raw materials from everybody. Yeah, yeah. Put it together. Yeah, and then we had a, during COVID, we had a um, supply chain issue with the, pla- with the plastic bottles and, you know, we were getting orders. You get down to the bottom of the well, and those guys didn't have it. So I had to order from somebody else, you know, like that kind of weird stuff I've never dealt with, you know, um, scary, you know, it gets scary and unsure. And, you and know, the then cost, you get... sometimes the pricing is just unreasonable. It's not even profitable, but, you know, somehow right. you have to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of like that stuff though. I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I, I have an entrepreneur spirit and it's, you know, that, that now it's more like, a, it's like, oh, okay, this is a problem. It's got a solution. We'll get through this just like we got through the last 80,000 problems, you know, no big deal. <laughs> um, cool. Wolfgang. And there's, there's a story about, uh, um, do you know a person named uh, Kevin Bush? There was a yeah. <laughs> was, so, 
So I so I did an interview with Kevin Bush. He wrote Adventures in Drywall for uh, Walls and Ceilings magazine, and he is just a character. He was telling me about a tape story where they had come up with a, a mudless tape. And you had started to fabricate a tool. And he even said, he was like, he might not like me very much, but he's a nice guy. And I was like, oh, Wolfgang won't care. But you had started fabricating a tool for this specific invention. This, this, uh, it's a tape that you could get wet with water and it would activate a glue and it would stick to the wall. Well, it failed. And you, and I guess maybe you were at the time you were tooling a product, you had seen the value in it. You spent a bunch of time and then maybe that was just a big waste of time. Oh yeah. That was quite an experience. Yeah. We were working with, uh, well, my motivation was, you know, we always have motivation. You know, and yeah. my, they were, he, they were working with grabber. And so I, you know, the, I, Grabber's a big company and they have yeah. a lot of locations. I thought, wow, if I could get my products into Grabber, I'd have it made, right? It, yeah. Be good. Just like if you got yours into a big, you know, chain Sherwin, like that. Sherwin Williams or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's why I did it. I didn't, you know, did, that was uh, my ulterior motive. So, but I, you know, I gave it my best shot and we came up with a, a dispenser for this wet and stick product and put a lot of blood, sweat and tears and money into this thing. I invested quite a bit of my own money to make it work. And we we found something, you know, we got it to work. It was tough. It wasn't easy, but uh, the product itself, you know, the the deactivated when it was got wet. And so it, it, you know, it didn't stick properly. So it wasn't (laughs) wasn't like, nothing to do with me <laughs> the <laughs> truck truck drove through a rainstorm <laughs> you know you end up getting to the job with a bunch of clumps of like just clumps of paper <laughs> you know it was a, it was a good learning experience right and then do you have any of those rolls do you have any of those rolls oh. kicking around the shop i have a lot of it there was another company that tried to do it as well um, okay and i've got a whole warehouse full of this stuff <laughs> but i was like and i told kevin i was like well like it worked right it just didn't work under these circumstances it seems like maybe they gave up too quick or you get one large failure like that where it's like oh all the tapes got to come out we got to redo the all this walls like one fail like that that'll kill a product that easily you know it seems like well it seemed like it had it was viable you could have like pushed through that and kept going with it if somebody was passionate about it oh i'm sure they could have um well and i could say there was another company that started up after them after wet and stick and it was called hydro tape and okay. I, I was and they found me they called me and they wanted me to help them figure it out and so we weren't that busy at the time. Things were, you know, when it's slow, I'll take on projects for other people. Well, you and enjoy you enjoy doing that anyways. <laughs> no, I don't do it much anymore. But, you know, there was a time when I did it a lot more. We do it for ourselves now rather than for others. Right. But, but anyways, I said I'd take it on and and we, we started developing another dispenser. Unfortunately, the, the, the principal passed away, you know, in the midst of it all and so the whole thing came to a, another abrupt end. So, interesting. Yeah. And yeah. now, are there any? Are there any like, 
you know, innovations or tools that you've created in-house that have flopped that you just, you spent a lot of time on and they just didn't pan out? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got, we have so many things that didn't work. You know, you have to. What's fail. a good one? What's a good one that you really thought was going to work? This is going to work. I'm going to really flesh it out. And you tried it out in the, the industry. Well, maybe one where you let some people try it out and they were just like, Wolfgang, what are you thinking, dude? This is horrible. <laughs> oh, man, I can't. I mean, I I think we were working on a, an extendable box handle. Like, you know, we, we, we had a whole bunch of different ideas and probably spent a bit of time trying to figure it out. And it, I still have the prototypes and everything here, but, you know, it, it was a, it was another one of those, you know, like learning experiences. And whenever you, some of these things aren't as easy to do as, you know, once you start getting into product development and then you build a few pr prototypes, then you realize how much more complicated this is than what, it, what you thought initially. And, yeah. and then usually, you know, there's, you, you have to just think more money, you know, think, it, it, you know, if you hire engineering or if you have your own engineer on house, you can spend months and months and, you know, hundreds of tens of thousands of dollars developing a product. And yeah, it may not work at the end of the day. That's, you know, it, it just, or you hit the big roadblock we often hit is the production cost. We'll say, okay, we got something that works. It's great. It's cool. <laughs> and then we go out and get it, you know, quote for getting molds made and tooling. Okay. Uh, it's just, it's just not feasible. You know, but yeah. you can't do feasibility study until you have something to show. Right. So there's lots of failures. It's we've got I've been talk about it all day long. But yeah. Well, <laughs> and then also likewise, of course, there's successes, but like yeah. uh you have to almost vet tools as well. I was just talking with uh level five about their mixer like you know um i, um, I was like you know i I, li I like those mixers they do have drawbacks um i had a sort of a mixer experiment where i tried a bunch of different mixers and i really like the design of the level five mixer and the end mm -hmm. but it but i've had you got i had to use it for a long time same with the trowels like you got to really vet some of these tools so it might not be until down the road that it's like oh that's why that doesn't work you know or we're going to change direction here um what was a big uh successful product that you guys came out with that you're very proud of what's your favorite you make a lot of tools but there's probably one that has a sweet spot for you. Well, I think the most recent one that comes to mind is our um, extendable handles. And the handles are pretty well received and people like them. But they have a locking mechanism that sometimes gets, if it, if they're not clean, clean properly, if the tool you know gets mud in it or water, or if it's dirty, whatever, those mechanisms will fail eventually. And so then the, the tool either jams up and, it, you know, if it was left in the locked position too long yeah. or if it's dirty, it may not, it may not lock. So there's a couple of issues that people end up having. So, you know, we, and it's agonizing for us, you know, when we hear people, you know, having bad experiences with the tools, because yeah. that's the last thing we, you know, we don't want, we don't want to have that happen at all. I mean, you know, especially as a tradesman myself, I understand the agony of having something that doesn't work, you know, especially when you're counting on it. 
people so, don't people don't realize when they criticize i mean i get yeah. the whole the the value of constructive criticism and it's also yeah. valuable for us to take criticism um but that is really it hits the heartstrings you know it hits that failure you know that intrinsic failure <laughs> mechanism in my body that you know that just like they, people don't realize, you know, when uh, when you do that, when you outwardly or online or something go bash a tool, like that affects that affects you, doesn't it? Like you know, you're on social media, you know, and somebody talks trash, it like it hurts. Yeah, it it, it does. I mean, sometimes, you know, it, it, it. But that's life, you know. You have to just do something about it. I guess it's you know that's just a you know just lets us know that there's an issue and then when you know hear enough of that that's why we improve things right. so right we track you know we we track all of our returns and you know every periodically we go through our list and see well how many you know what's come back and what's the reason for it and you know if we see that there's a an issue we'll, we'll do our best to, to correct it so that, okay you know, that's good business i believe and yeah. you know it's we don't it's just treating people the way we want to be we want to be treated unfortunately you know we'd love to make things a lot better sometimes we as i said earlier there's just constraints sometimes we just for reasons it's just not possible right now to make everything you know perfect so you know we're not in heaven yet i say sometimes right i mean if we were in heaven everything would work perfectly but you know we're still living in this world so things do break you know unfortunately yeah well, and two, it's the yin and yang of life. I mean, the yeah. you know, you wouldn't have the successes without the failures, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. but that criticism, that is a tough one, man. I I got caught up. Uh, I got caught up in a conversation recently where somebody went onto a post and they started to, they started started to bash, and I I messaged them on the side. I was like, hey, man, you've yeah. never even used my product. Why are you bashing it? You know. And and I, and I told him like straight up, I was like, this, you know, this affects me, man. I've, you know, I got a lot of blood, sweat and tears into this stuff, you know, and I shouldn't do that, you know, but I, I got caught up in it, you know, and uh, that's a tough, tough part. I think if it's not justified or if it's done with the wrong motivation, we have to stand up for ourselves and, you know, yeah. I've done it I'll, I'll reply to somebody's message that I think, you know, is unfounded if, I don't think, you know, he's being fair, then I get a talk back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it had nothing to do with the guy. It was a side post. Somebody was promoting my stuff and he just went on the thread and was like, Oh, you can do it better this other way. You know, just do this X, Y, and Z. And it's like, Whoa, 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 dude, you're going out of your way to bash a product that you've never even used, you know? So, so, but, even in retrospect, like I had a great, you know, he, he was a cool dude. We had a good conversation and we sort of arrived at a conclusion that was like, you know, okay, Hey, I appreciate that. I appreciate you. You know, no offense. He didn't mean any offense by it. You know, I made something up in my head about it, you know, that whole thing. Um, very mm -hmm. cool. So, so this locking handle, uh, you, that's a newer tool. No, it's it's basically a feature that we've implemented in the, the bushing. So we can now it basically disassemble the handle. Okay. So it, and then, you know, it can be cleaned and repaired if necessary. So that was a big, big undertaking to figure out how to make this, you know, this removable bushing. We spent 
a lot of time and you know to figure it out but we were very pleased when we finally got it to work and not only that but we built we built the tooling in-house to to punch the the tubing you know there's a little there's a couple of holes in the tubing that we had to introduce in order for the bushing to lock and so we made all that in-house and it turned out amazingly well and i think you know we were all just elated to how how you know we're so happy to have solved that problem you know okay so when you you solve a problem like that you create something that's really awesome what's your first step do you like give it to kayla give it to some of these influencers see how they like it uh what what's your what's your process in in getting that to the market yeah we have a few influencers that you know people who product testers that we we like to work with and we'll send it out to them and get some feedback yeah that's typically or you know if it's if it's a no-brainer then obviously we don't need to but um yeah but yeah we'd like the, obviously we need feedback yeah the most yeah okay very cool and, very cool i mean i should also say like i've got a really good team of people here at canam you know we've got there's only there's only eight people all together with my wife and I, there's the six people that work for us. And that's cool. But they're, they're a great crew and several of them have been here for over 10 years. So that's also, you know, good. And um, I've been in business doing this since 2000. So, you know, it's been 23 years now coming up, but you know, having good people working with you is really what it's all about at the end of the day, having, you know, having dependable staff that cares about the product. These guys yeah. care. Uh, they oftentimes, you know, they'll, I'll just say, you know, I think we can send this out and they'll say, you know, we can't send that out. You know, like you've got to have people backing you up sometimes. And, yeah. You know, like you, you, um, it's really good to have people that care a lot about the product. And I have to tell you that our employees care, you know, a lot about, producing a good product and you take a lot of pride in it and we know that we're providing a product that helps people earn their livelihood you know that's what really i think gives us the the most joy is the fact that you know we're making tools that people use to actually earn a living and that yeah. to me that to me gives us a lot of satisfaction yeah why do you think that uh, your employees are 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 like that why do you think they care well, I mean, I think like anybody, they just, you know, it's their work ethic. They're just brought up that way that, you know, you do a good job. There are a couple of the guys that they're actually, you know, it's just from their, their, their upbringing and, you know, sure. they're, they just believe that you have to do a good job. Like anybody, I think most people, pretty, pretty much everybody tries to do a good job. That's just intrinsic in, in who we are, right? As, it should be. And then, you know, if you want to keep your job, of course, it's <laughs> that's pretty important yeah. too. I thought you were going to say it's because you pay them a ton of money. Well, we do pay them <laughs> pretty good. I think you know that's another. It's important. You know, yeah. We, we don't. We don't. I think they're all happy with their pay. I mean, everybody yeah. always you know, would like more, of course, but we do yeah. our best to pay our employees. Do you have and a good model? Do you have a good model for raises and bonuses and like that sort of thing that you feel like helps keep uh, employee retention? I don't know if it's a good one or not, but it's, you know, we use our discretion and it depends on our okay. profitability and how well are we do. And, you know, we share the wealth as much as we can, you know, to whatever, you know, and 
I mean, I've, I mean, I'm the sole owner of it. Eventually, I would like to see it move on to Zach. He's our manager. So he's in the wings of perhaps taking over the business in the future. So, and then it'll be up to him to you know, run it. Yeah. Why is that? Why Zach? Well, Zach's a good guy. I mean, he's, he's yeah. a young guy. He's, he's very, he's brilliant. You know, he has a really good education. Um, he's, I think, you know, from, he's, he's very good financially as well. I think he can, you know, he could be able to run this company very well. And um, he's a team player. That's a really nice thing about Zach. He's really much of a team player. And uh, whereas, you know, I've been kind of more of an individualist and, um, but, you know, you have to be a team player in order to, to grow a business and to, you know, to get people working with you. Uh, he's, he's really good. He understands retail quite well. So I think that's a real asset is, you know, so he looks at it from a retail perspective. He looks at the business, you know, from a different perspective. Well, I'm more of a production guy. You know, I see it from the back end quite a bit and what it's, so, you know, it takes, it takes more than one person to be able to be successful, to run successful, successful business as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we have our like strengths and weaknesses. It's good exactly. to uh, yeah. recognize recognize that you know. Um, I struggle. I struggle with that. Though you know, with like, uh, you know, uh, building that building that community. You know, around Fresco Harmony, it's very close to me. It's very hard for me to let go and and you know and like listen to other people's input and like like really let that go. Uh, but I, I try, you know, uh, Ingrid in my studio, she comes up with fantastic ideas all the time to create more uh, productivity and better productivity and things like that, you know, and so I have to, to really practice that, you know, yeah. you know, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, they say you make more money when you let, when you, when you're gone from the business sometimes, right? So in other words, yeah. you, you just have to let the others take over because if you do everything yourself, I mean, you'll always be doing it anyway. So sometimes you just have to let it go and, you know, trust that it's going to work out. If you've got yeah. people with character, they're, they're going to do a good job for you. You know, you can learn skills. Skills can be taught, but character really can't. So, I mean, it does, you know, you can, you can improve. Everybody can improve. But if you've got good people surrounding you, then you can teach them they'll learn on their own or whatever and you know things will go well for you yeah yeah um pearl of wisdom from the great wolfgang lumbell <laughs> sorry dombrowski oh, i almost okay. said lebowski like uh you know uh yeah. what would your pearl of wisdom be that's a really good question i was thinking of that i i I guess really the at the end of the day, I think it's persistence. Let's just, you know, be persistent and, you know, don't give up. Just keep, especially if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to be in, you know, and I think, well, you know, if you're married, it's really good to have your spouse's um, encouragement too. You know, you have to be on the same page. Uh, it's It's really hard to do this on your own. 
as an entrepreneur. So, you know, having some good support, whomever it is, is really, really important. You know, somebody that can speak into your life and encourage you when you're, you know, things go sideways. Yeah. Yeah. How, how long have you and Faye been together? Uh, 40 years. 40 years. Yeah. Fair to say you know her pretty well. <laughs> yeah. We're still learning. We're still learning. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Just like the tools, man. Just like the trade. Uh, Wolfgang Dombrowski, thank you so much for being on the Drywall Podcast today. This was an absolute pleasure. There's probably some stuff we didn't cover. I'm sure there's room for a, a Can-Am Tools interview part two. Maybe with Zach, we'll get his, uh, you know, on round two, we'll get his uh, input. You know, he's a little younger. We'll talk more about social media and marketing and, uh, you know, influencers and that sort of thing with him. But uh, for now, uh, we will see you at uh, Build 23. Wolfgang's got a booth next to me. And hopefully by the time this drops, we'll have uh, we'll have had that experience. And, um, you know, maybe we'll see some of the characters from that are listening at build 23 this year or in future years but uh thank you so much thank you appreciate you having me on your program yeah absolutely and also thank you for supporting the drywall podcast too that's very cool i think it's a win-win for everybody can am get some props um it helps me you know make this happen so we really appreciate you for that my pleasure thank you all right, sir. You have a good day. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye for now. Yeah, bye. Special thanks to Wolfgang Dombrowski for being with us on the Drywall Podcast today. We appreciate your time and value your wisdom. The months of March and April on the Drywall Podcast are brought to you exclusively by... Can Am Tools. You can head over to the Can Am Tool website, canamtools.com, and receive a discount throughout the months of March and April if you enter promo code TDP15. The Drywall Podcast was also brought to you by Fresco Harmony making walls better since 2004. Now you can get Fresco Harmony if you go to csrbuilding.com. If you have questions about the Drywall Podcast, KM Tools, Fresco Harmony, or anything, you can email me directly at info at frescoharmony.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Drywall Podcast today. I sincerely appreciate it. Tune in next Friday when we have another amazing adventure in Drywall with the great Kevin Bush, episode two of our ongoing series with him. But until then, keep drywalling.